It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show, live from the little city of Pukalani in Hawaii on the Valley Isle of Maui in the 50th state of Hawaii. Aloha and welcome to it. We have got a lot to cover. And joining me today from our Midwest correspondent office, where he's just got done doing a wild marathon on Twitch TV, please welcome Movie House host, writer, and just all-around good guy, Ron Pertee. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What happened? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. So for people that missed your uh, Twitch TV cast, we, we just got to say, you've been putting in some hours lately, haven't you? I I try to go on at least an hour or more a day. And it uh, when people think about streaming live on Twitch or YouTube or something like that, they think, oh, you just flip a switch and go. But there's a lot of work that goes into it. And like we with overlays and all this other kind of stuff, and it's mentally draining. And I've been up for like 36 hours preparing for the uh, Night of the Living Dead uh, 50th anniversary uh, stream that I did today. And instead of just showing the movie like I should have, instead of just showing the movie like I should have, I decided to put myself in the corner of the movie and make comments. You know, like a comment, like a running commentary, because I'm knowledgeable when it comes to the work of George Romero. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, well, for a good 12 to 15 minutes there, uh, right in about the middle part of the movie, if you pay real close attention, you just see my head drop, and uh, I am zonked out. Now, for those who, <laughs> for those who want to see that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Real Ron Pertee, and I'll be posting just that section because if you've ever tried to upload a two-hour movie to YouTube, you know my pain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should probably mention, too, that um, <clears throat> if you like this show, you should probably follow us on Patreon. Just look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show, as well as you can look for us on your iTunes or even Stitcher. Just look for the Shaggy Jenkins show to give us a listen. Ron, I want to dive right into one of our biggest stories this week, what is shaping to be one of the most important stories so far of the Trump administration, their nomination for Brett Kavanaugh. Now, let's go through a couple of late-breaking stories that have happened here recently. One is, let's go back just ever so briefly to last Thursday. Do you remember last Thursday's hearing? Uh, that was, was that with, uh, Dr. Ford? That was with, uh, Dr. Ford in the morning and, uh, Kavanaugh in the afternoon session. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. You know, beer. You, you, beer, right? I, by the way, Matt Damon deserves some sort of award for what he, he did amazing. on Saturday Live. He was amazing. No, what's so funny is, is my wife saw the Matt Damon thing first, then decided to get on YouTube and watch the Kavanaugh thing. And she goes, which one was the guy that was on the hearing? Um, it was kind of funny and ironically close because here's the thing. Um, politics shouldn't be this well-written comedy, should it? No, not at all. They should not be able to uh, lampoon you like this. Oh, good new. No. And when it comes to uh, lampooning things, I, I kind of want to say that 
Kavanaugh's performance, which is what it was, because keep in mind his his crying, his sucking down water, and and and, and all of these weird nervous tics that he uh, exhibited, came while he was reading from a prepared statement. Most of the time, people don't get that emotional from reading, do they? Uh, I mean, like I think when I read Perks of Being a Wallflower when I was younger. That maybe made it a little emotional, but not when I'm reading a prepared statement talking about my dad's calendar while, mind you, my dad was sitting right behind me. So it's not even like my dad was dead talking about his calendar. Yeah, and let's just go ahead and say, during a lot of the fiery parts of Kavanaugh's delivery, if you kind of look uh, just left and right of him at the, the facial expressions of the women behind him, they're very, very telling, aren't they? Oh yeah, I mean, even if they don't, if they are uh, all for him going forward, they don't like him. No, and this is the thing too, because there's another little non-likable log we can throw on the Kavanaugh fire. It, it comes in the details of something that he said during that Thursday fiery statement, and it has to do with this being a out of left field political hit job. Turns out, according to new reports, that, hmm, not so much a hit job as it was a I-knew-about-it job. And this comes from the the New York, where they say, basically, look, Kavanaugh knew not only about the Ford allegations well ahead of when they came to light, but also the one that he says was just made up on the spot, Ramirez, the second accuser to come forward, Turns out he had a little bit of advanced knowledge on that as well, Ron. Yeah, he did. This this guy is the worst liar ever. Um, apparently, uh, you know, during the, the the testimony, he said uh, uh, to Orrin when Orrin Hatch asked him uh, when did he first hear the Ramirez's allegations against him, and he replied in the last you know since the New Yorker story. Um, now. What's funny about that is I can't repeat what the allegations are because we're uh, we're being a family-friendly show right now. Well, let's uh, just say it involves some privates and faces and close proximity and a lot of non-consent. He put his wang-dang doodle in her face. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, now uh, NBC is reporting that, like many things Kavanaugh has said in his testimony, that's him knowing about it just when the New Yorker article came out, that's false. Apparently, Kavanaugh's friends gathered testimony attempting to refute Ramirez's allegation uh, weeks before the New Yorker story came out. But some of the witnesses were contacted by people working on Kavanaugh's behalf as early as, I think, it was like July, according to text messages that one witness has shared with the FBI. Yeah. So, yeah, he knew plenty. He knew plenty of time. This is the thing that kind of gets me about this whole uh, this this whole kind of picture that we're getting painted here is, and Ron, I just got to ask you as a fellow white man, um, is Kavanaugh trying to surf his entitlement to the Supreme Court alone? Yeah, uh, it's like Matt Damon said: if you think I'm angry now, wait till I'm on the Supreme Court. You know, yes, he's totally why he's try, he's he's trying to uh, just be as uh, white and entitled as he possibly can. Well, OK, so this is the thing um, you remember not too long ago when when President Trump was faced with the prospect of replacing outgoing Justice Kennedy, he he, right. he received a list of candidates 
and, and you'll remember that list came from a conservative think tank group. Right, and uh, the head of the think tank group was on CBS this morning saying, you know, just uh, that, that he he didn't think any one was better than the other. They were all good. Just throw a dart. Yeah. So when we started off this whole search for the new justice, there wasn't a lot of fanfare and, oh, my God, this is our guy. So I'm going to ask you a, a, a very literal question here and, and, and hope that you can come up with a better answer than I have. Ron, if this guy is just another guy out of the pack of the bunch, why are Republicans picking him as the hill they, they, they choose to die on? Um, that's the thing is I don't think they see this as a hill that they want, they're going to die on. I think they see this as a giant distraction away from the Russia probe because has anybody been talking about the Russia probe? No, they've been talking, they've been talking about Kavanaugh. So they see Kavanaugh as a scapegoat that they're putting out there to draw fire. Mm, So you're basically saying that right now, this is kind of like a. God, this is a a break for the Republicans? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, this is a false flag operation worthy of InfoWars that they are uh, perpetrating to try and uh, get the heat off of Donald, especially with the midterms coming up. Because let's be let's be real honest here. Uh, is Lindsey Graham is his seat up in in twenty eighteen? Hmm. I don't think so. No. As a matter Orrin of Orrin Hatch, Orrin Hatch is on the way out. He's already said he's gone. Yeah. And and, and those are the big ones that have said that have come out in support of. Uh, isn't uh, Flocky? He's gone too. Yeah. Right. He's he's. You so say there you go. Those are those are three people who have no repercussions. Uh, because of them supporting or one way or another Brett Kavanaugh, and then by the time their re-election campaign comes up, or you know, for Lindsey Graham in particular, mm. so he'd be twenty twenty was when his next, I think. So by that point, the news cycle is so fast they're not even going to remember him standing up for Brett Kavanaugh. Okay, you may have a point there. However, I also want to kind of throw this in here. Look, when it comes to the Republicans and their support of Kavanaugh, it seems that there's three of them right now that are infamously not in support of Kavanaugh. And Mitch McConnell, who is is kind of the leader of the whole Senate rat race, is zeroing in on, on what he calls the gang of three. Now, Okay, before we talk about who these people are, why is it that Republicans always use the word gang? Uh, they try to make everybody look as nefarious as possible and make them look so much better. You know, but I mean, I grew up in the 80s, and I kind of remember the get-along gang, and they weren't that violent. Yeah, I mean, who, who does the Republican Party think they are, the Salamanca family? Yeah, no. Actually, kind of, sort of, sometimes, but... um. Mafioso lifestyle. I can see Mitch McConnell. I can see Mitch McConnell sitting in a wheelchair, not speaking and ringing a bell. Yeah. Well, it kind of seems like that's the kind of level it's going to go to because when it comes to the three, the 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 gang of three, and this includes Susan Collins out of Maine, uh, Lisa Murkowski out of Alaska, and then of course, and we'll talk more about him in just a sec, Jeff Flake out of Arizona, uh, McConnell. Might as well be speaking in bells or, or Charlie Brown parents to these guys because 
they're kind of staunch holdouts for, let's see what an investigation brings forth first. But he's going to go after them, balls to the wall, very hardcore, trying to get them to change their mind before the end of the week. Ron, what's at stake here if these guys relent? Well, he, he won't get Kavanaugh passed. That's a big thing. And you also got to remember, notice something here with those three. Lame duck. Vagina, vagina. So, of course, two women that have been in the Senate a long time, and, and much like our senator, Maisie Hirono, has said, if you're a female senator in D.C., you know things. This is the this is the one out of those three that is most interesting to me. Let's talk about Jeff Flake. Now, Jeff Flake is the guy that threw the whole linchpin into McConnell's plan, isn't he? Yeah, because he uh, came out and said we should, you know, after those two women approached him. Uh, and, if, and funny how there was a camera there, but whatever. Um the two women approached him, and then all of a sudden he changes the story and is like, I'll support him going forward, but we need an FBI investigation. Yeah. It turns out that on 60 Minutes over the weekend, he said something that was kind of very telling about that encounter with those two women. Ron, Flake out of Arizona said, if I wasn't on my way out, I would have done nothing. But because there's no consequences, I threw the FBI flag up. Is that the kind of logic that we need from our leaders? Well, I think this all comes back to uh, him and Trump. Because this is a Trump appointee. This is something Trump wants. This is something Trump is pushing for. And remember all the issues they had. So this is him kind of like, well, they can't do anything to me now. Mm. So, hey, FBI. Yeah. The thing is, though, is now now we're starting to get into investigation. And it's been going back and forth. Like uh, some reports say the White House is limiting the scope and range of the uh, investigation. The FBI released a statement saying nobody tells us what to do. We'll investigate as we see fit. And then yet another statement come out with, well, the Senate Judiciary Committee is now saying let's limit the scope and time uh, the FBI is allowed to investigate. Ron, it seems Uh. a little weird that not only do we have these sexual allegations, but one of the things that got turned up just here in the last 24 hours is Kavanaugh's involvement in 1985 in a bar brawl. Yeah, and on a boat in Rhode Island. No, uh, yeah. uh, Let me just explain a little bit here, because this is the problem with this new revelation. The Supreme Court is called Supreme because, much like a cutlass back in the 1980s, it was a level above the regular cutlass. That's why it was the Cutlass Supreme. Right. Yeah, that's why when you have lettuce and a little onion and some mayo, it's a chicken supreme and not just a chicken sandwich. You get my point. Supreme is supposed to be the pinnacle. Way better. Way better. And as such, judicial people are supposed to maintain a certain level of decorum. Now, on the stand during his hearing, which, by the way, 
was not a trial. He could have just went up there and played calm the whole time, and it would not have mattered any one bit. But Kavanaugh decided to go full-blown roar and rage machine. Now, when it comes to the Supreme Court, is he displaying the kind of behavior that you would want from a justice? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, and if I remember correctly, I was still kind of a wee lad at the time. If I remember correctly, when Clarence Thomas had allegations against him, he didn't get up there and just scream and shout and get loud and unruly and, you know, things about that. When people are sitting there talking about his pubic hair in a Coke can, um, that, okay, I, it would drive me nuts. But, you know, and that's the kind of thing that you, you want. I hate, hate saying this part, but you want somebody who can kind of contain their emotions. I don't want somebody who's got the, the swing vote on Roe v. Wade. And obviously has some kind of emotional issues that he needs to deal with with a therapist. Mm, Yeah, nobody does. And this is the thing, too, because when we talk about emotional outbreaks, this 1985 kind of um, incident that was reported to police comes from a New Haven area bar where Kavanaugh and a couple of friends were out and he was questioned, not arrested, after a fight broke out where... According to one of the witnesses on the, the scene, uh, I believe the name was Chris Dudley, um, Kavanaugh threw ice on one of the people, and then Dudley threw a glass at them, and that started this whole riot. This is the thing. Republicans want to kind of paint him as a picture of a very calm, very stable man who is acting out like this because he's being attacked. But given his history, Ron, and I mean sexual assault history aside, just given Kavanaugh's regular history, do we see the kind of behavior that uh, that that would elevate this guy to a nominee in the GOP's eyes? Again, I think he's a scapegoat. I think he's a giant shield to protect little Donnie. Mm. That's all. I, I mean, I know, and I I hate to to reiterate a point like that, but I think that's the case here. I think that that. He is nothing more than uh, a fancy-looking paperweight at this point. That's all he is. Yikes. But (laughs) I I, I busted my my tail to get into Yale, and I drink beer. Uh, Now, this is the thing, too, is because Republicans— remember how earlier I said it's weird to me that Republicans have chosen the Kavanaugh Hill to die on? Yeah. One of the things that really grabs me about him, I mean, just really in the, all the wrong places, much like he's accused of doing from several women in various oh. situations, one thing that really grabs me wrong about Kavanaugh is that here it is. We have a guy that is not uniquely qualified. Literally, they were told that anybody on that list was no different than anybody else, and Kavanaugh just happened to be on that name, I mean, on that list. So how is it that now, as we're approaching a very highly contested and what is sure to be a very damaging blue wave for the GOPs in the midterms, why do you think they are sticking to Kavanaugh despite the political damage it could cause? I mean... All I can think of at this point is they're just like, let's just wait till the midterms to see what happens and try and collect from there. 
I don't know if they're going to have that opportunity after the midterms because here's the thing. Mitch McConnell, when he's going after this gang of three, and that includes, once again, Collins, Murkowski, and Flake, what he's trying to convince them is is that after November, they won't have the power to put somebody on the Supreme Court. So, you know, buyer's remorse be damned. Kavanaugh is the guy they've got enough ahead in the process so that they can put him on the court before midterms. So it's kind of a situation of damned if you do or damned if you don't. Knowing that, Mitch McConnell is still trying with these three. And we know a little bit about Flake. Like I said, he he basically said on 60 Minutes he wouldn't have done anything had it not been that he's a lame duck. But when it comes to Collins and Murkowski, they have a lot to lose by a no vote on Kavanaugh, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. And there's going to be a lot of backlash um, for the people who don't help push him through. Now, do you think McConnell is basically going on, um, well, I don't want to use the word, but it kind of sounds like it, uh, a, a kamikaze nosedive towards the midterms with this Kavanaugh nomination? A little bit. Um uh, see, that's the thing, though, is why would they do that knowing that they won't be – as long as Trump is president, if the blue wave hits and hits as hard as I think it's going to hit. Well, they are that, saying it could swing like things way out of a majority that the Republicans could find usable. Yeah, and then at that point, Trump's not going to get anything done for the last two years of his presidency at all. He's not going to get a Supreme Court justice pushed through. He's not going to get any that, – that Supreme Court – I mean, oh, please, somebody wrap Ruth Bader Ginsburg in plastic, please. Well, this is the thing, too, is because Mitch McConnell is saying – and Lindsey Graham and all of his rabble-rousing. This is a good man, and I'm a, I'm an old single fella. Who just made you know my you know I'm 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 a I'm a straight right I'm a no what I don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. Help me! I swear I've caught the vapors. Uh, but vapors aside, Mister Graham, um, with all of these people that are that are right now on the Kavanaugh kick, here's the thing that really gets you, Ron. As a woman in the Republican Party, you have a choice of voting for somebody that is alleged and alleged by very reputable sources that have taken polygraph tests to have committed very heinous acts against women. And then you have the party that basically will ostracize you if you don't go with the old boys club. How difficult of a choice do you really think this is for women in the GOP right now? First, I don't see how women can be part of the GOP considering their track record when it comes to uh, women's uh, reproductive rights and the way women, women get treated, period. So right there, that flabbergasts me. Hmm. Um, but oh, it's gotta, that's got to be tough to be in the old, old white guys club. It, it really does because here's the thing. Collins and Murkowski have already been out on the outs several times with Republicans. And, okay, honest question here, Ron. Is the only reason that these two women are are constantly on the outs with the GOP, it's not their voting record, it's their gender? It's totally their gender. Uh, they It's like when it came to, like, Rachel, uh, uh, the prosecutor, I forget her last name. Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah. Um, Mitchell! <laughs> 
It stinks. No, um, they are totally using uh, gender as a as a weapon at this point, as a, or as, a, as, a, as an excuse to attack someone. Um, yeah, they seem to they, use that. the prosecutor Mitchell's gender as their attack weapon against Blasey Ford's gender for her, well, testimony. It didn't seem like any time that they were actually saying, let's absorb and process the information. No, yeah, they were just like, well, well it'll look bad if we say something as old white honkies. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get one of them there uh, portly women to come in here? Uh, she can fly on Southwest, have to pay for two seats, and then she can ask all the questions that would make us look stupid. Now, Ron, looking stupid aside, because let's just go ahead and admit several times that they tried to defer to their, and I, I, I don't know why they kept using the word female prosecutor, but uh, the, the more they kept uh, deferring to, to her, the weaker their case started to look. Now, by using a third-party arbitrator like that, is it kind of a sneaky little backdoor way of absolving yourself if later an investigation proves the allegations against Kavanaugh? Oh, uh... Because the Republicans do seem like they need some sort of insulation at this point. They're too late in the game with him to change. Yeah, they're, they're, they're too... Uh, um broken down at this point and and kind of like stuck in their ways uh there's no way that they can kind of turn around and kind of you know adapt you know republic gop is not known for its ability to adapt no and the thing is is that that lack of adaptation is really kind of harmful because when when i talk about female support for the gop according to the latest polls over half of Republican women disapprove of the job of the Trump administration right now, and that is, for the first time, a pretty big indicator of where this whole Kavanaugh thing is taking them, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's, uh, oh, man, it's just, it's just, it's just so much to, to soak in. Oh, God, you know, because yeah. Because we're, 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 we're thoughtful people, and we, we like to... Uh, uh, look at everything that's happening, not just the one story. Whereas all we see on the news is Kavanaugh, this Kavanaugh, that. Mm. Don't see anything about Robert Mueller. No, and somebody that we haven't had in the news lately. And after we get back from this break, we've got to talk about him. James Comey is back in the news, Ron. Oh man. Yeah. Hey, stay Boy. tuned for more. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Welcome to 60 Second Civics, the daily podcast of the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. One of the forces that helped define the European Renaissance was humanism. In fact, humanism helped create the Renaissance. Humanism focused on human ingenuity and potential, as well as the development of virtue. This emphasis on the importance of the individual would affect European thought for centuries. Humanism began in the 13th century as people developed an interest in the writing and philosophy of classical Greece and Rome. Humanists read and translated classical texts and imitated their style. In fact, what we know about classical Greece and Rome today is due in large part to the efforts of humanist scholars. 
The most influential Italian humanist was Petrarch, who lived in the 14th century. Petrarch viewed classical texts and classical history as providing lessons in morality that would be useful for people to adopt to improve themselves. Petrarch sought to reconcile the moral lessons of classical texts with Christianity, the dominant religion of Europe. Because of Petrarch's ability to integrate classical Greek and Roman thought with Christianity, humanism was able to spread throughout Europe. Humanism became popular with the upper classes during the Renaissance, who sent their sons to study with humanist scholars. The invention of the printing press allowed humanist ideas to spread to even more people. One model for humanists was Cicero, whose work was later to make a huge impression on America's founders. After reading Cicero, some people began to argue that republics were better than monarchies. That's all for today's podcast, 60 Second Civics, where civic education only takes a minute. Warning, too much consumption of the Shaggy Jenkins Show could result in a higher IQ, a better understanding of the world, and not being called a f***ing idiot as much. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show, all the way from the city of Pukalani. That means hole in the sky. Really, it does. And if you don't know some Hawaiian, or as we like to say, olelo, maybe you should check that out before you come over here and visit the 50th state. It's fascinating stuff. Speaking of fascinating stuff, a guy that joins me today on the show is our Midwest correspondent, follower of all fascinating things, and a fascinating guy to follow himself. Please welcome back Ron Perti. This this city that you live in is named after a Black Sabbath song? A Hole in the Sky? Well, it's yes. better than being named after the one that Charles Bradley basically did better than Black Sabbath did changes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just, I, that was never a very good Black Sabbath song to begin with, though. That's right. I said it, people. Fight me. Oh, speaking of fights, let's get back into the Kavanaugh fight, except we've got to come at it at a different angle now. Like you said when we were going ready, uh, we're getting ready to take our break, that this is kind of one of those things where uh, East meets West, North meets South, everything's all kind of discombobulated, and you don't know what's happening outside of the media hammering only about Brett Kavanaugh and Trump's reaction. Let's talk about the FBI, though, because now, <clears throat> as they say in the South, where the good old Senator Lindsey, I said Lindsey Graham is from, the FBI now has, Ron, some skin in this game. Oh, yes. Yeah, they've got some dogs in this fight now because they're opening up an investigation. And here's the thing. We have to talk really quickly about who the FBI is. So, Ron, if you right now were approached by somebody, say, from Canada or the UK, and they, they, they looked at you and said, you know, what's all this business about your intelligence community? How would you explain, despite all the stuff that Donald Trump, Republicans, and all the smear campaigns have said, what would you say to explain the FBI to someone? Oh, well, first off, if they're from Canada or the UK, I would say, take me with you when you leave. Uh, second, I would, oh, what would I say to them? Uh, I'd say that American intelligence is an oxymoron. 
well, the intelligence community, though, is not one of the quote-unquote political branches. And that's one of the things that's under Trump's administration is getting obscured as of late. So what if their question was, which party does the FBI belong to? Uh, I'd say, well, ideally, it doesn't belong to any party. It's it's to, to carry out justice for wherever it's needed. Um, however, in a weird way, they do kind of work at the discretion of the president. Well, they do. However, independently. And when it comes to this investigation, Donald Trump has found himself in a very, very weird predicament. When it comes to warfare, Ron, is it safe to say that the old cliche, the enemy of the enemy is my friend? Yeah, that usually works. In Trump's case, that is where he stands with the FBI. Now, this is the thing. If the FBI is the enemy of Trump's enemy, and Trump is really needing them to help join his battle, may I ask who the third enemy is? really is in Trump's eyes? Oh, uh... The, the media. It does seem that way. Or in, in some cases, and this is the part that I kind of want to bring up, Donald Trump is hoping the FBI will do him a solid and help him fight the truth of this situation. Yeah, but then that's the... Uh, oof, I don't know if you want the FBI uh uh, I don't know if you, if you want to have the FBI owing you. Ah, I can't talk today. I know, I, don't I know. know if you, you don't want the FBI owing you any favors. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> For months, months and months, better part of over a year, Donald Trump has been drilling into his base's head that the FBI is a part of a deep state conspiracy against him. And now... We're in a situation where he's kind of hoping that they come out on his side. So, political aside, if you are in an organization, in, in an administration that has been inundated with attacks over the course of, God, almost a year, how likely are you to be buddy-buddy with uh, getting this thing quick and neat? Oh, I'd want it over as quick as possible. And by any means necessary, so... On Trump's side or the FBI? Well, if I'm the FBI, I, w I would want Trump... I would want it so Trump doesn't have anything to do with us. To have him stay away from us as far as possible. Yeah, so basically you were saying I would do the investigation uh, in a vacuum. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would, uh, I would make sure that he had nothing to do with it and stayed away. Well, he's trying to inject himself into this, much like he has uh, in times past. But this is the thing. The FBI and Donald Trump, um, I don't know how to say this like in Mean Girls, but they don't sit with each other. No, not at all. So how is it that now Donald Trump is putting and pinning all of his, well, hopes and dreams for a Kavanaugh nomination on the branch that he has spent months and months denigrating. Yeah, this, that's, where, that's why Trump gives me a headache. Uh, you know, because he sits here and he just rips into things, but then he expects them to be all buddy-buddy and be on his side, and it doesn't, it doesn't add up. There's something, there's well, something amiss. Yeah, and here's the thing. 
You remember how I said that this this story is kind of bringing back all of Trump's problems? There's a name that's been tossed around as of the last 24 hours that has stepped forward and said, hey, you know what? If Trump is going to spend so much time talking down about the FBI and what the FBI does, I will answer in front of a Senate panel questions about the Bureau's bias. Who would that person be? The last person that you could guess, who would it be? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the same person who came out a week before the election and talked about Hillary's emails? Yeah. It seems that James Comey is back in the news as somebody that wants to come forward and testify against the notion of an FBI bias. Now, he's doing this for a very important reason, because not only is Trump needing the FBI right now, but Trump kind of needs the FBI on his side despite what Devin Nunes is about to do to them at the Senate level. Have you heard about the let's release everything from the interviews to Jared Kushner to Don Jr. uh, campaign going on? I have not. Well, it turns out that Devin Nunes, in his effort to discredit the Mueller investigation, now wants to release, yes, heavily redacted, sections of closed-door interviews that the Judiciary Committee, or the Senate Investigative Committee, held with Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner. So, this week, the, the GOP in the legislative branch is really trying to make a push to smear and bes- besmirch the FBI. And it seems like, at the end of the day, they're going to be caught between a rock and a hard place between Congress and the White House, aren't they? Yeah, if I was the FBI, and I'm not because I don't wear women's clothing. Uh, if I, I know it's been proven to be false, but whatever, it's still funny. Uh, if I was the FBI, I'd come out all guns blazing on everyone. Well, it's kind of their methodology. I mean, if you know anything about the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they're slow moving, but they're methodical as hell. Yeah, I would. I actually, this is gonna sound weird, but I'd fear the FBI more than the CIA. Yeah, and see, that's... because the, the FBI, the FBI will do it to your face. Oh and that's yeah, somehow, and that's somehow scarier than having it come up from behind. Well, this is the thing, because now we have James Comey coming up and and basically saying, look. All of this negative talk about the FBI is damaging to their mission. It's damaging to the American trust, as well as it's kind of making it hard for us to operate as a non-politicized branch as we were supposed to be set up. With Comey coming forward with, with all of these kinds of, hey, please let me testify, how likely is it that this will see light of day in Senate? I think if he keeps pushing for it. Uh, he'll probably get in there and say something and get, get his, his, his day. But I mean, he's uh, in all fairness, he's kind of is of no consequence at this point. He's just not, he doesn't hold an office. He doesn't, uh, unless he's got a smoking gun that he's going to pull out. He doesn't really matter to them in their eyes. I think. No, but he could matter to the American public because Comey's firing was the thing that set off this whole kind of warfare between the president and the intelligence community. Now, 
here's the thing. With the FBI looking into Kavanaugh and Trump constantly on the attack and now Nunes trying to add more fire to the flame, Mitch McConnell's pressure on the, the Gang of Three, you think that's actually going to happen in this week like McConnell wants? Or is this going to be something that the FBI comes back and says, you know what, with everything going on right now, we have to kind of slow down the pace so that we can all work more effectively for the truth? Oh, I, I honestly don't think the Gang of Three thing is going to have any kind of weight. Um, I think it's it's a, it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors put up by Droopy Dog. Yeah, let's put yourself in, in one of these these three senator shoes, okay? Uh, not a lame duck one, so let's not be flake. So either Collins or Murkowski, okay. take your pick. But do you, let's say you're one of them, and you okay. know for— Let me f- put my lipstick on. Okay. okay, go ahead. Wow, talk about putting lipstick on a pig. Uh, Moving on. Uh, one of the things that, that 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 you could possibly say, if you're somebody that was in one of their positions, is I think politically for me right now, it would be really good to kind of step back and let the heat of is this a good passable guy get away from me in the legislative branch and, and, and move over to the intelligence branch. It's kind of a it's an easy escape route. Why are... Why are more people not seeing that within the GOP as such? I don't... Well, because they don't have any intelligence. Well, see, you earlier mentioned that they were looking for something to distract from the Russian investigation. But right. The, the Russian investigation has smeared a lot of the chances of incumbent people. I mean, like famously, a guy like deadlock Ted Cruz is now facing a very serious contender in Beto O'Rourke. And this uh, one, Yeah. Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say me future President O'Rourke. I watched him at his rally with Willie. Because you know I'm I'm all about that Willie Nelson now, mm-hmm. and uh, I watched him speak and the way he spoke to the crowd, what he had to say, reminded me of a senator from Illinois a few years back. Yeah, a lot of people are starting to to say that there's a lot more players out of the left that are looking a lot stronger than the last election cycle that we went through, with O'Rourke being one of the ones that's at the head of the pack. But if you're a GOP member right now and you're in either the Senate or even the House, you're kind of I would I would think and and correct me if I'm wrong here. I would think that you would be kind of really happy that the the burden of the vote is off of your back for a while. Yeah, but then you got to worry because about uh, whether or not. You know, uh, what you can say when you lose, you know, like what kind of scheme can you come up with? Like, oh, it's voter fraud and I'm not the Zodiac and my dad didn't kill JFK. (laughs) God, let's hope that this isn't the year that people run off of more outlandish conspiracies because we saw where that got us in 2016. But yeah, and I and then, but, but I just want to touch one more on base one more thing on, on Beto O'Rourke real quick. Okay, he could be the catalyst for the blue wave because I feel that he is young enough. I mean, that he's been out skating, mm-hmm. stuff like that. He's young enough to where people will look at him and say, "Oh, that's our future right there." 
You know, and plus he speaks Spanish. Our current president barely speaks English. <laughs> True. However, there's also the other part where Democrats right now are kind of enjoying this this public public spotlight as being the party of resistance. And when it comes to what they're actually resisting, O'Rourke seems to kind of get that this is more about the long-standing future of what the GOP is possibly impacting on the judiciary more so than this is about taxes or other stuff, isn't he? Oh, he's definitely. I think he's in it. He, I think he's playing the long game on this. I think uh, for whatever reason he thinks he can beat Ted Cruz, and I hope he does. Um, but I think he's he realizes that this isn't a short term thing. Uh, there are a bunch of little battles, but ultimately, ultimately, there's this big war. And uh, that that that's being fought, and uh, he realizes that, and I think uh, we're going to see some some nasty stuff coming out. Yeah. Now this is the thing too, because when we're talking about nasty stuff, I kind of want to come back to the intelligence community a little bit. Look, the intelligence community knows that this is a highly political fight right now. So if you were the director, if you were like Christopher Ray right now, and you're sitting over at the FBI, how would you kind of approach an investigation where any move you make, because we're so close to the midterms, I mean, they're only like 30 days away at this point, um, what kind of move would you make knowing that anything could be politicized by the two parties? I mean, all you can do, and as bad as it sounds, but all you can do is put the truth out there and let it, the chips fall where they may. Hmm. Well, I, okay, let's let's try to put on our uh, Nostradamus hats here and look deeply into our bubbling cauldron of the future. Ron, these stories have been moving at lightning pace. And, and last week, when we were on the show together, we kind of said, well, in a paraphrasing way, how much crazier can it get? Well, here we are. We have the FBI that is under a heavy uh, kind of... Uh, cult of personality assault by Trump in his base that has bled over into these very fervent to get reelected senators and representatives trying to politicize everything they do. And now they're being asked to step into a highly contentious Supreme Court nomination process. At the end of the day, Ron, where do we see this playing out in a week? Oh, God, something else is going to happen. And uh, Cav, you know what's because they, they said what they're they're going to uh, give what the investigation a week. Yeah, that's all like they that. want to give it one week. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's not get any deeper. We're digging for this at all. You know, a week's time. Oh boy. Uh, I think we'll just move on to something else. We'll forget about Kavanaugh. He'll pass through, and then you'll see a couple of tweets from people who are super upset about it. Um, and it'll just go back to, to, to status quo until the election. No. I think we're just we're riding this this horrible crimson wave of status quo and old man politics, and hopefully that changes in the beginning of November. I hate to say it, but I kind of share your 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 view there. Of I hope some sanity starts to return to the governance of this country because as it stands right now. It's, it's kind of hard knowing, especially when it comes to pushing forward such an unqualified candidate as, as Brett Kavanaugh. It, it kind of bothers me 
that we've reached the point of American society where nobody knows what's up or down anymore. Yeah, uh, and as much as I, I I like to pick a side in the media, uh, everyone's guilty. Uh, like the mainstream media is guilty because they have advertisers that they have to appease to and they have to bring in ratings, so they have to say the most outlandish stuff. Whereas folks like you and I, we're down in the in the muck and the mire and we don't have to appease to sponsors uh, to to a point. I mean, we have the, the, the we have the the American public. Yeah, and as such, the American public will call us out if we say one thing incorrect. That's why we spend so much time having to research for these shows. But when it comes to the way that they're they're kind of snowballing downhill with this, please get this process over so we can get to campaigning. It does seem like a lot of thought was thrown out the window and research. Ha! Research nothing. Yeah, that's all they're interested in right now. That their 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 short term goal is the midterms. Well, let's put our want to get to that. Yeah, let's put our finger on the pulse, uh, uh, real quick here of America, because I had mentioned earlier that women in in overwhelming numbers are are now starting to be very disapproving of the job of the Trump administration. So, Ron, fingers on the pulse here. Uh, uh, from a week from now, will women still be as adamant? Uh, supporters of the GOP if they're sold out by Brett Kavanaugh being nominated? If there's one thing I've learned in my 39-plus years on this planet, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So I'm, if they if they sell out the women, mm-hmm. good night, nurse. Yikes. I think you're right on that. Hey, before we get out of here, we got just a couple of minutes to bring up one last story. And this is a story I didn't prep you on because it's one that I know so well. And luckily, it's a story that's very much out of this world. Ron, can you believe that yesterday was the 60th birthday of the National Aeronautic and Space Administration? Uh, I believe a lot of things. Well, I mean, do you believe that there's secret moon bases, Area 51, alien abductions, and things like that? Oh, well, uh, you mean like how The Shining was made as an apology for Stanley Kubrick faking the moon landing? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, okay, so it has nothing to do with NASA. NASA has been, right. for 60 years, one of the, the, the best champions of science in American society, and... When we and I, I want to go through and talk a little bit about some of the great accomplishments, especially one of their great accomplishments that's about to have what looks like it's going to be a pretty great movie, uh, the moon landings. But Ron, when we talk about NASA as the science ambassador in America, do we need them now more than ever? We need logic. We need science. We need stuff like that. We don't need conjecture and a bunch of uh, people spouting off hate speech. We need solid facts, and that's what that's what NASA does. When it comes to solid facts, some of the solid facts that they have proven time and time again that we're not listening to is climate change is indeed manipulated by man. Yeah, global. I forget which one of them is. Is uh, the, like the planet's always going to get warmer, mm-hmm. but at, at but we 
control the rate at which it happens. We can stop doing a lot of the things that we're doing and we can end up being, uh, uh, being, uh, you know, better Mm -hmm. people. Well, this is the thing, because when you look back at the history of NASA, not only has NASA done great things like, and, and remember, I said that there were, there's a movie coming out. I do kind of want to say, hi, Ryan Gosling is playing Neil Armstrong, and I'm actually excited to see it a Ryan Gosling movie now. Uh, I was until uh, it got politicized. Well, of course, people are like, the the flag planting. and so it, just, it doesn't matter because for me it's always about the science. So NASA put men on the moon six different times. And if you know the distances involved, the math that was involved, oh, and the fact that there wasn't computers, you know, like the ones that you type, there was these women with slide rules and calculators. But we did amazing stuff under NASA. And not only did we go to the moon, but over the weekend it was revealed that, Ron, there might be a little spark of hope. It looks like one of our Martian rovers that's been missing for over 180 days has been found. Oh, did they find some water with them? Eh, well, they're, they're, they're still looking, thanks to the curiosity. But, however, the longest-running two probes that we put on Mars, thanks to NASA, were only designed to last for 90 days and have lasted over 15 years. I'm talking, of course, about spirit and opportunity. And over the weekend, NASA found out that, hey, opportunity might still be alive. Now, they're still waiting for a signal from it, but it's just one of the small little cornerstones of stuff that we know about our solar system thanks to this organization. So when it comes to your history, because this is the thing I know about Wisconsin. Wisconsin is actually really close to the astronaut capital of the United States, more so than us here in Hawaii, and we've only had one astronaut from here. He's, his name was Onizuki, and he was on the Challenger mission that day that it blew up faithfully back in 1986. But when it comes to astronauts, most of them, Ron, would you be surprised are out of the Midwest? No, I wouldn't be surprised because that uh, we, 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 uh, we breed good stock. <laughs> yeah. And if I had to ask you a trivia question, what Midwest, well, upper Midwest town was home to more astronauts than any other United States city, would you know what city that is? Uh, oh boy. Uh, now keep in mind the first man to orbit the earth, the first man to land on the moon, the first man to do a spacewalk all came from the same city. Oh boy. Uh, give me a second. I think I can figure this out. Okay. I feel like, because, you know, with it being NASA's 60th anniversary, I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about some of the people involved. But one of the neatest little trivias is there's one city that you could realistically in the United States call Space City, USA. Um, Somehow I feel it's Ohio, isn't it? It is Columbus, Ohio. That's what I thought. Because I, I, I got to thinking John Glenn was the first American to orbit the Earth. Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, and he's from Columbus, Ohio, and because he, he, he uh, was a senator there, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Ed yeah, White, who was the first guy to uh, do an EVA for an American space flight, Columbus, Ohio. And then, of course, famously, first man to walk on the moon and all-around American badass, Neil Armstrong, Columbus, Ohio. 
I do love those videos when you watch Trump talking and Neil Armstrong's looking at him like he's a crazy person. And Neil is obviously a few cards sh- short of a deck. Yeah. And he's looking at Trump like he's crazy. Well, when it comes to proving who's short of the deck, I just got to say that right here at the end of the show, hey, congratulations, NASA, on 60 years. Ron, where can people find you? Uh, just follow me on Twitter at RealRonPerti or head over to RonPerti.live. Yeah. Uh, at some point, there'll be a live stream that I uh, might be awake for. Okay, and in the meantime, everybody else stay safe. Love you, mean it. Kate and bye, we're out. <laughs>